All right, welcome back to our study, which is basically a study all about what God's like. What God's like. He, he, is, he is more powerful than you tend to think. He is more able to rescue and save and intervene in your life situations than you usually give, give him credit for, especially when you're stressed out, especially when you're feeling the pressures, especially when you're in pain. Uh, he uses people who trust him. He uses people who will follow him, trusting him, to do far beyond what could ever or should ever be expected. Because it's not going to be about what they can do, but it's going to be about what he's going to do. That's what our study is about. Now, in case you're new here or are visiting, we are going through the first 16 chapters of the book of Exodus. This is the bit of time where God judges Egypt and then rescues his people out of slavery and brings them out of the land of Egypt. Today, we're finally on the move. We, we are on the move. The, the ten plagues are now done. And God's people are heading to the Red Sea where, uh, I don't want to give it away, but something pretty incredible is going to happen. And God's going to rescue them. If you need to read ahead, you can. Otherwise, we'll get there uh, next week. I'll try and keep that a secret. Anyways, so um, we'll get there next week. But today, we're going to look about how God sets up. This amazing, one of the most amazing, powerful rescue moments in all the Bible. How he sets it up, this, this moment. And in, in God's been, from God's point of view, how he perfectly sets it up. But from the people's point of view, how he very uncomfortably sets it up. And, and that's how it is, right? Trusting God sometimes. Like he has got a perfect plan that he's putting together. And if we'll trust him, he's got this path towards an amazing rescue, an amazing intervention, an amazing work that he has got prepared in advance. But we've got to trust him. And sometimes that path towards his perfect plan is uncomfortable. And it's, it is straining and, and challenging. I think the prayer for, for all of us is, God, help us to trust you more. In fact, if you're, if you're watching online, you can prayer type that one. God, help me to trust you more. God, help me to trust you more. Okay, that's at the heart of what we're talking about today. We're going to now look at the Bible. We're going to look at what the Bible says when it comes to God leading them out of where their homes were to the Red Sea, which is right on the border of Egypt. I'm going to be starting in Exodus chapter 13. Picking up in verse 17. Let's see what the Bible says. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. So he led the people around toward the Red Sea along the road of the wilderness. And the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear a solemn oath saying, God will certainly come to your aid. Then you must take my bones with you from this place. They set out from Succoth and camped near at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Yahweh went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. Okay, so they're following God. Not Moses, not a, a general direction. God is, they can see they're following this, this pillar. Then... 
Yahweh spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back. Tell the Israelites to turn back and to camp in front of Pihahiroth. That's the best I can do at saying that. Pihahiroth. Oh, wow, that was even better. Pihahiroth. All right. Between Migdal and the sea, you must, he's very precise here. He is setting something up. You must camp, you, uh, I got to find where I am. You must camp in front of Baalzephon. Facing it by the sea. You, there's an exact place that God is leading them to. You must camp in front of Baal facing it by the sea. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they're idiots. Paraphrase. They're wandering around the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will put, pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army and the, and the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, what have we done? We have released Israel from serving us. So he got his chariot ready and took his troops with him. He is there. He took 600 of the best chariots and all the rest of the lame chariots, I guess, of Egypt. <laughs> and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt with officers in each one. Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out defiantly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen and his army, chased after them and caught up with them as they camped by the sea at Pihahiroth uh, in front of Belzephon. As Pharaoh Farsha looked in the Egyptians, and it just keeps going, and I, I, I want to just keep reading. It's just such a tense and, and exciting, exciting moment here. Now, what we're going to be talking about today is, is part of this journey here. And although the Bible gives very specific places like Pihahiroth and Baalzephon and Migdal and Etham, we're three and a half thousand years later and we don't actually know exactly which, where these specific things are. There are several, you're probably familiar with this. If you've ever had more than one Bible, maybe you've seen more than one route of the Exodus uh, when, when it's come to where people are going and, and how they're leaving. Every route that's proposed uh, has different place names. Oh, this is where Etham was, and this is where Migdol was. Migdol only means like tower or fortress, so they're everywhere. You can, you can just place them everywhere. It's very hard three and a half thousand years later to, to uh, track each of these locations, but we do know that God's leading them to a very specific place. So when it comes to the Exodus route, there's many proposed routes, but there's only two that match the Bible very well at all. There's, but there is two. There's two that match the Bible. The route that we're looking for when it comes to this path that they're on brings the people out of Egypt and actually so far out of Egypt that they are safe and they know that they are forever free. That, that, that it, it is done. So the, the route is taken out of Egypt and to Midian. That's where they're headed, to Midian. Now, again, that's where the Bible says Mount Sinai is. If you missed it a few weeks, months, I don't know, ago, just a reminder, Constantine's mom... Helena said that this mountain on the Sinai Peninsula is Moses' Mount Sinai. Okay? It's not. It can't be for two reasons. One, there's no archaeological um, that, that, that show people living there and, and the things that the Bible described having, happening at, Mount, at that Mount Sinai. 
Um, but also the Bible, more importantly, the Bible is so clear where it is. It's in Midian. It's in Arabia. At many times through the Bible, it says it's in Arabia, it's in Midian. So it has to be somewhere. Here's a map here, just so, which I've shown you before. It's got to be in Midian, which means it's not on the Sinai Peninsula. It, they've got to cross out of Egypt control land into Midian. So we're looking for an Exodus route that is getting us to Midian towards the real Mount Sinai. Okay? Now, over the last 150 years or so, there has been a concerted effort to uh, scholarly, I guess, effort to downsize everything in the Exodus, to downsize the, the, the miracles of the plagues, to, to downsize the slave population leaving Egypt. And I hope you've, you've seen in our study that there were cities and cities and cities of people, that, the slave cities that, uh, that were exiting, but they wanted to, uh, to downsize the slave population, and then they want to downsize the miracle of the Red Sea crossing. And, and so they're asking themselves questions like, how could this have happened if God isn't as big as the Bible describes? Or if he's not as mighty as the Bible describes? Now, I reject, I, I reject uh, these kinds of theories. Um, I'm sure maybe you've seen a map like this one here, uh, or, or pictures like this, where very near Egypt, still well within Egypt and, and its control and dominance, they're, they're crossing the Red Sea, which isn't the Red Sea, it's the Sea of Reeds or some lakes or some, some of these shallow lakes right near the border uh, of, of Egypt. These lakes are about six meters deep, okay, so not that deep, but, but you know, they're, they're able to cross, and that would be kind of the, the Red Sea crossing. I'm sure you've seen or heard something like this. Now, I reject those theories basically because it doesn't get the people out of Egypt, as the Bible describes. It's based on going to the wrong Mount Sinai, which is on the Sinai Peninsula. And it's based on the assumptions that the Bible isn't trustworthy in its facts about, about history or its, or its facts about what God is like. So in light of all of those things, um, I, I reject those theories. So back to the, the map where we need to go to Midian where we need to get out of Egypt and into Midian, what we're not doing in this study, and we've done this a lot in our study, we've, we've made sure that we're not asking the wrong questions. So we're not asking questions like, how could this event happen if God isn't as big and powerful and active as the Bible describes? We're not asking that question. We're also not asking the question, how might this have happened if the Bible isn't historically true or accurate? How might this have happened? I, I hope you've grown in your appreciation in this study of the, the historicity, the accuracy, and the reliability of the Bible and its descriptions of, of God in these events in our study thus far. So we're starting with different questions. And, and instead we're asking, what does the Bible say happened? And then, is there any special evidences? Either historically, or geographically, or archaeologically, that either challenge the Bible's claims which we haven't seen, actually, or supports the Bible's claims, which we've seen many times in our study. So we're rejecting the views that are trying to figure out how the Red Sea could have been crossed if God isn't big and powerful and, and if the Bible isn't very accurate. And so we're looking at other, other uh, proposals. And so that brings us to map number three. Now, map number three, you can see the other uh, options lightly it, when it comes to those... those uh, dotted yellow lines. Yeah, you can see them. Uh, other lines. They're all leading people out of Egypt and to Midian. And you can, you can see here that um, all of these theories based on the Red Sea being the Gulf of Aqaba, 
what we call the Gulf of Aqaba today. And the reason is because in the book of Exodus, the, 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 the body of water that they're crossing is called Yamsuf. Yamsuf. And, and I'm going to just say this as clear as I can. Every time in all of the Bible, everywhere the phrase Yom Suf appears, in any book, anywhere throughout the entirety of the Bible, which is the Old Testament, because that's when they speak, use the Hebrew language. But whenever Yom Suf appears, it always... Every time, without any exception, always refers to what we today call the Gulf of Aqaba. Always. It never refers to anything else. This idea of Yom Suf maybe being translated with a little bit of Hebrew, but mixed with some Egyptian into this idea of, maybe it means the Sea of Reeds. Um, that is terrible translation work, but it's awful Bible. It's awful Bible. When you're wanting to understand what words mean in the Bible, you look at the Bible and see how they're consistently translated. And that, and that's, yeah, that's just good Bible. So it's always referring to uh, this bit, the Gulf of Aqaba. Now the top crossing on this, work, on this map doesn't work biblically. Uh, but the thought was, and you can see on this next picture, that, that because the Red Sea was two meters higher back then, and it was, in fact, it was, it was higher, two meters higher, uh, that there's a swampy area at the top, which was also true. There was a swampy area at the top. And the idea was that God dried up that swampy area for their crossing. And we're not going to give it much time because you won't see it very often. It's just not a very substantial uh, claim. It doesn't do good with the Bible. It's not good Bible. It doesn't follow the, the facts in the Bible very well. It's only a theory because... It's for those people who want to have the kind of a shallow lakes, not big God view, but they know that they need to get further away from Egypt. This is their next best option here. But, but we're not really going to give it much, much thought. In fact, that's all we're going to talk about. The, back to the map again, though, there's two other routes that are actually, both of them follow the Bible well uh, and uh, close enough. And either of them could be true. Now, this is not a choose-your-own-adventure. I think it's this one. I think it's that one. That, it, that would be a terrible thing for God's people to do, to bicker over something that you just are making up. Like, you don't know which one is which. And so, so we're going to do that, although I'll tell you the right one next week. Uh, no, uh, we'll, we'll look at both of these as very possible Bible things. And, um, but we'll study them more, more next week as we look at the actual crossing. But I want you to be introduced to where they are. So continuing from top to bottom, the, the second location is partway down the Gulf of Aqaba, and it's called Nueva Beach. So today it's called Nueva Beach. Now here's two pictures from Google Earth. We're going to be using Google Earth to get across this, this moment. You're like, Google Earth, that must be true. I mean, there, there's the Bible, but I mean, come on. We've got Google Earth here. You can see uh, this huge shore, this huge beach uh, on the shore where a couple of million people could easily camp in terror, Right? They cannot go to the north. There's the rocks and mountains. They can't go to the north. They can't go to the south. They are, they are stuck there. Now you're like, if they can't go to the north or south, how did they get there? Well, I think you can see the wadi system, which is a dry riverbed. Sometimes water will flow through it when the, ra when the rains come, but mostly it's dry. And uh, there's a path, if you see on the map one, where it goes down to the, the, the beach. Now, I, go ahead and put up the, the one with, where I put some blue dots on the wadi system so you can see. Yeah, there is actually a path that they could walk down to Nueva Beach where they would camp um, there on the shore. It's, there's only two locations that actually could possibly fit the story of the Bible. 
okay? And so this is one of it. Now remember, God's leading them. You've got a pillar of cloud and fire, so you've just got to follow, right? You're, you're not making a lot of choices. And the, the story is that they were, they were leaving, and then God tells them to turn back, and then they, they go to this, this place where there's a, a dead end. So that is, that is uh, option number one. I think there's a picture of the wadi itself today. It's, it's big enough and it's wide enough when it comes to like, like how it's flat at the bottom. Easily the nation could be going down there along with their sheeps and goats and all those, all those things. And also the Egyptian chariots could be chasing after them and they would be stuck. So that is one option. We'll talk more about Nueva Beach next week. Um, but back to the third, uh, the map three again. The other location is down at the very bottom of the, of the Sinai Peninsula. And, and again, God tells them to turn back and to go a different way, again, away from the promised land. So they turn around and, and they, they go to a place where they're trapped. Um, Google Earth again. Google Earth here at the, the bottom in this view. God's people come down that wide sandy I don't know if it's sandy, <laughs> wide, flat area. And no, I don't want to know more about Sandy Bucket, although everybody does. Thank you, Sandy. Sandy, if you're out there, send me a message. I, I, I guess I need to know more about you. Pray, praise God. Um, anyways, so we're going, down, we're going down the blue line, and they go around the corner, and they come to a dead end. They come to a, they can't go any further. They're, they're, they're stuck and they're trapped. And so, you know, God's telling them to camp at a very specific place. So I put a box there uh, at this camp here. And then the red, the red arrows, here comes the Egyptians, and they um, have them trapped and they have them uh, pinned in. Okay, both of these routes and both of these camping spots uh, fit the Bible well sufficiently. And again, as all the details we have, these are the two, and, and really the only two, the only two that um, options that there are, and again, I'll tell you which one is right next week. Um, but either way, but either way, when it before we talk about the crossing, I, I don't want us to miss the lesson, because this journey to to the Red Sea, it, it is it has a very challenging spiritual lesson that we don't want to jump over. When oh, did I say that we're going to cross the Red Sea? Ah, oh, I gave it away. But, but, but that's what happens, right? We, get, we, get, we want to get to that cool, amazing moment. But the, there's a powerful lesson in the journey to get there. The Bible is clear when it comes to this story. God is leading them, as I've highlighted over and over again, to the exact location that he has in mind. He, God is leading them to a very specific place where he has where he's going to perform one of his most spectacular, most famous, most powerful miracles. But in order to get there, God's people have to look like idiots. At least to those who are watching. God's people have to look confused. God's people have to look foolish. Like, like they don't know what they're doing. God's people have to, have to be walking on this path that everybody else is like, what? what are you? It makes no sense. And God is going to lead these people, not just to a place that is confusing to other people, but a place where they find themselves in a dangerous and hopeless looking situation. Where they just look like there is no more way forward. Unless God shows up. 
unless God does some sort of epic miracle of salvation. If, if God doesn't show up, then they're going to be recaptured and going back into awful slavery in, in Egypt again. Family, sometimes following God for you is going to mean that other people are going to look at you and the decisions and the thoughts that you have, and they're going to think you're an idiot. They're going to think you're, you're foolish. Maybe because you actually believe in God. And they're going to look at you like, like, what? To them, that's just stupid. And they're just going to think you're, think you're weak or, or an idiot. Maybe, maybe they'll look at you and, because you have this hope. And this, this uh, optimism based on God helping you. Maybe by God doing something, by inter intervening in your life. And they're just shaking their heads at, at this delusional hope that you, you seem to have. And you keep saying that you're trusting Jesus whom they don't even believe in. And they're just like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Maybe God is um, going to be leading you in your future down a non-traditional path towards your future. And he's going to ask you or direct you in different ways in your life. And people are going to be like, that's not how you get to where you're, you say God is calling you to go. That's a terrible idea. Why would you make that decision? Why would you make this change in your life? Friends, if you're going to follow God, if you're going to follow God well in your life, you're going to have to be brave. You're going to have to trust God. Throughout the history of the world, God asks his people to trust him by making big, extreme changes in their life. So maybe some rich and successful person, uh, they have to walk away from that and maybe become a, a, a missionary in some uh, dangerous place in the world across the world. Or, or maybe, maybe somebody who, who, um, who is being called to run after a future that is just entirely impossible for them. Unless God shows up. And people will look at their, their, what they're running after and, and be like, why are you even trying? Everybody is just going to laugh at you. We're already laughing at you. What a fool for believing that you can get from here. You have no hope. Because sometimes following God means that other people are going to look at your life and your decisions and think you're, you're being stupid. But you need to be brave. And, and you need to trust God. And so the question that I, I want to have hanging over you this week is, are you willing to look foolish to your friends, to your family, as you trust and follow your God? Are you willing to look foolish to your friends, to your family, as you trust and follow your God? Many years ago, I was reading a missionary biography. I think it's George Mueller. All things are possible, but it, I can't remember for sure anymore. But there was a line that totally struck me when he was describing the way that he wanted to live his life and the way that he wanted to make decisions in life. He said that he wanted to live a life that proves God can be trusted. That he wants to live a life that proves God can be trusted. And when I read that, it just struck my soul. And I'm like, that is the kind of person that I want to live. That is the kind of way that I 
want to live my life. I want to live a life that proves to the people who, anybody who will look, anyone who is paying attention, that, that I trust God, but more importantly, that God is safe to trust, that God can be trusted. I want my life to set out to prove that God can be trusted. But you know what that means? That means in order to live a life that proves, that genuinely proves that God can be trusted, you have to follow God as he sets you up. And he's going to set you up to potentially look like a total idiot if he doesn't show up. But you're going to experience that strain, that stress, that challenge, that if, if God doesn't do something here, you're, you're, you're going to show in, in fact, the, the, the sad spiritual formula is no test, no testimony. But if you want a big testimony in your life that proves that God can be trusted, the bigger the testimony, the bigger the test. And if you're like, I want my life to prove God can be trusted, well then you're going to have to let him set you up for moments that is going to require God and only God to show up. And you're going to have to follow him exactly where he's leading you to go. You don't set yourself up in a foolish situation. You follow God where he's leading you to go. Just like in Exodus here, you must, you must camp in front of Baal You must camp at this place that looks big and scary dead end. That will require a miracle to get you out of. Otherwise, you're going back to slavery for good and for, forever. The only way, though, to have a life that proves that God can be trusted is to actually trust him. Funny enough. To trust him. To be willing to look a fool following him. And then when God shows up, and when he shows up in the, the most impossible moment, in the most incredible ways, and things happen, then people will look at your life and say, wow, who knew? God actually can be trusted. Don't you want to live a life that proves that God can be trusted? Isn't that how you, you want to live? Then, then be brave. In fact, all through the Bible it says be strong and very courageous. That's not just in the book of Joshua. That is all through the Bible. Be strong and very courageous. That is what it takes to live a life that proves God can be trusted. In fact, if you're on the online, you can truth type, I will be brave. I will be brave. I will be strong and very courageous. I will be brave. Now, trusting God and following God requires us to be comfortable finding peace in very stressful moments. It requires us to grow in, in patience in times of waiting. In that moment where God's setting things up right, and maybe God is setting something up, and he wants a lot of people to pay attention, and so he's going to drag out the strain. Right? And you're like, God, save me now. And God's like, I want more people to see what I'm about to do with this person. You're like, ah. And he just draws it out. And you, we got to be like, okay, I'm going to choose peace. I'm, I'm just trying to follow God. I don't know how this is going to get out of here. But I think God set me up. I'm going to choose patience. That he's just expanding the amount of people who are paying attention to maybe the ultimate foolish moment of Brian's life. Or victory moment in extreme, however that comes to, together. I believe that God, God wants all, 
all of us to set up our lives by, by listening to his leading and listening to his direction so that we do what he wants us to do. And at first, that, that is going to look foolish until God shows up. And then your obedience and your faith is going to shine. It's going to shine like an amazing testimony. Are you willing to look foolish? To follow Jesus? Are you willing to live a life that sets out to prove that God can be trusted? It's humbling, but I'm telling you, there's not a more exciting way to live. There's a less stressful way to live, but not a more celebration-focused way to live. I've got a challenge for you today. This is the challenge. The challenge is, is there a way you feel like God is leading you that seems a bit foolish to yourself or others, but you think God might be directing? Seek a double confirmation that this is really the leading of God, and I just want to just drive that home. Let's, let's, get some more, let's get some confirmation that we really are following God on this one. We're not, not going to be foolish because we're fools. We're going to be foolish because of our faith. Seek a double, and then secondly, if it does still seem to be God, go for it. And let your life prove God can be trusted. I, I have this all scratched out in my notes, but I'm going to say it anyways. When I was uh, getting ready to move here in Scotland the, the, the month before... Um, I, I was kind of believing that this is what God wanted me to do. Sell everything, move away from family, and pay this high cost. And yet I was throwing up that month from the strain and the stress of it. Because, you know, when do you know, no, no? When do you, when do you know? You mean, you, we do our best when it comes to following God. And I remember this simple prayer was I'm trying to follow God and, at a pretty extreme cost. And there's people like, what, you quit your job? And you're, okay, yeah. One of the things, that, uh, my prayers is like, God, I think... This is you. If this isn't you, uh, tell me. Tell me quickly. Uh, I, I would prefer, but also, if it's not, uh, like, help me anyways. Bless me anyways. Look at my heart. I'm only doing this because I think this is what you want me to do. Be gracious to me and help me. And maybe if you're on that point of making a decision, and as best you can tell it's God, maybe a simple prayer like that will, will help you. In your journey. Now some of you I know have been uh, following God. And you find yourself up against the Red Sea. With, with the army right there. Right behind you. You find yourself having followed God. But your stress is high right now. Your, maybe your fear levels and your worries and your anxieties are, are high right now. And, and you're wondering maybe if you've made a big mistake. Trusting Jesus and, and, and getting to, to this, this moment. You're like Jesus. It, it, it's like now or never. Like, I need you now to save me, to help me, to rescue me. And my encouragement to you, if that's you and your story, keep going. Keep going. You don't get the testimony without a big test. The bigger the test, the bigger the testimony. Keep going. Be Be brave. Be brave. Pray. Be praying, God. Here, help me, and then wait with, with courage to see God intervene. See God intervene and, and prove through your life that He really is trustable, trustworthy, worthy of your trust and everything that you have. In fact, let me pray for us as a church. Father, I'm thinking instantly of Acts chapter 4 and how your people prayed for boldness, that you would give us boldness, Acts chapter 4. 
as, they, as we talk about you, as we, we, sh- we tell about Jesus uh, raised from the dead. God, I pray for a spirit of great boldness over our church, for bravery. I pray for audacity over our church. I pray for resolve over our church, for, for peace and for patience and for, for eyes wide open to see and to know how you're leading us. God, we want to follow you well. We want to hear your voice and and walk in your ways. Help us with bravery. God, would you use us as a church, as a people, as anybody who's listening, to prove that you can be trusted. We trust you, but enrich, enrich in that. Deepen that. Help us to trust you more. Now, maybe you're listening and you're like, I... I haven't set my life yet to follow and to trust Jesus. I've not given my life to follow him, but, but something's going on in my heart right now. And, and I don't get it, but I, I think that Jesus is, wants me to follow him and to give my life now to, to following him. If, you're, if that's you or you feel like it's time for you to give your life to, to following Jesus, I encourage you to pray something like this. God, I dedicate my life to following Jesus now. I dedicate the rest of my life to following Jesus. I belong to you. I choose to trust you. Would you forgive me of everything that I I need forgiveness for? Would you lead me forward in my life? Would you help me as I seek to walk in your ways? And would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? From now on, all of my life belongs to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.